Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. I want to read a quote. I actually read this quote at the retreat, at the spring retreat. Uh, I'm going to read it now for a completely different reason, a completely different context. But this is this is a famous quote from the Ayak. Ayakena Sutta, and it is the quote where the Buddha talks about how the Dharma is challenging and how he doubts people will understand it if he chooses to teach it. This is a famous passage in which the Buddha essentially lays down this kind of argument that teaching the Dharma is really not going to be good for him and that people aren't going to understand it and it will be too challenging for people to take up as a practice. So I'm going to read this quote for you. This is the Ayakena Sutta. There's two parts to it, and it goes like this. This dharma that I have realized is profound, hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle to be experienced only by the wise. The Dharma that I have realized is profound, hard to see and hard to understand, peaceful and sublime, unattainable by mere reasoning, subtle, to be experienced only by the wise. But this generation delights in worldliness, takes delight in worldliness, rejoices in worldliness. It is hard for such a generation to see this truth, namely specific conditionality, dependent origination. And it is hard to see this truth, namely the stillness of all formations, the relinquishing of attachments, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nirvana. If I were to teach the Dharma, others would not understand me, and that would be wearying and troublesome. If I were to teach the Dharma, others would not understand me, and that would be wearying and troublesome. I like this quote just because it acknowledges as far back as the Buddha's teachings in the Pali Canon that when you take up this practice, it's pretty obvious that it's challenging to do. Challenging to teach, challenging to practice, challenging to sustain. At times the Buddha refers to his practice as going against the stream. I'm sure many of you have heard that phrase before. The Buddha says that the Dharma goes against the stream of our unconscious habits. It goes against the stream of the way our heart usually lends itself. It goes against the stream of our typical thought patterns. It goes against the stream of how we think of happiness and freedom and suffering. And because it goes against the stream of everything we're used to doing and how we think and how we feel, it can be very confronting when we really get into the heart of the practice. It takes so much time. (laughs) I should put it this way. Isn't it true? It can't just be true for me. Isn't it true that it takes so much time and energy to change how we think and feel? 
even when we really want to. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, you know, as a Dharma teacher and a, and a, you know, practitioner and a therapist, I, my God, it, human beings, why could we not have been wired in a way that when we want to make change, the change just happens? Like, what is up with that bad design? Like, I need to talk to this person who, whoever engineered this whole heart-mind thing, where if I want to stop eating cookies after 8 o'clock at night and I want to get more exercise and then I don't do it, even though I want to, I don't understand this at all. With all my experience, I'm just beside myself sometimes with awe how hard it is to change the way we think and feel. To change a human habit is like moving the world. And the Dharma is all about changing habits. The Dharma is all about changing habits. The Dharma is about cultivating habits of equanimity and wisdom and compassion and mindfulness and letting go of habits of reactivity, craving, aversion, ill will, hatred. So challenging. It sounds so great on paper. And when you look at that little teeter-totter that Molly made up for us, it looks so easy and cute. And we're like, oh, look, there's enlightenment factors. But man, you sit down to meditate and it is so challenging to get this right, right? Even when we really want to. And when we don't really and we aren't in the mood to change our habits, oh my gosh, it's even more challenging as we all know. I wanted to, to run down a list of things that human beings struggle with just outside of the Dharma, things that we want to change or let go of that we really struggle with. And I just want to invite you to, to kind of use this as a meditation as I go down the list, to just be with the sensations in the body. Not all of these things you will have experienced, but the list itself, I've got like eight things here I wanted just to read down. Just reminding ourselves as human beings how hard it is to heal, right? How hard it is to heal. So here's my list of things that take long to heal, grow, and change. Isn't it true, in spite of our best efforts, that it's a challenge for us to forgive and be forgiven? Isn't it true that sometimes it takes much longer to forgive someone than we would like? And isn't it true that at times it takes a long time for someone to forgive us for something we've done, some harm that we've done, even though we would like it to happen so much quicker? Isn't it true that it takes an incredible amount of energy, patience, and time to get over grief? Wouldn't it be nice if grief just came and went, like thoughts arising and passing away? But it doesn't, right? It's true that grief often takes longer than we would like. When we find ourselves grieving, or we find a friend or family member grieving, Part of ourselves says, man, I'd really like to get over this. Why can't I get over this? I'd like this to happen sooner. Regret. Isn't it true that for human beings, sometimes it takes a real intentional effort to get over regret? Our life didn't go in a particular way. A relationship did not go in a particular way. Something in our life is just not up to our preference. 
And there's a sense of regret. We really, really wish this thing would have happened or come to pass, or we would have become something or known somebody or been able to do something in our life. And we realize that regret is there and it's painful, but it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of regret to grow through that experience. It's hard to unattach ourselves from stereotypes, stereotyping ourselves, stereotyping others. The mind is so quick to verbally fabricate, to label things as right and wrong, and to apply negative labels to ourselves and to others. Everyone in this room knows what it's like to have a critical mind that labels us, right? Critiques us and says we're not worthy and not lovable. And we would love for that voice just to be quiet, be quiet permanently <laughs> if it could. And we know how hard it is with the best of our intentions to grow and change through that, to change that habit, to get over those things. It is not easy even with the best of intentions. And lastly, just the general challenge that human beings have to accept some reality in our world that we simply don't want. Something in our lives or in the world that we wish would not be. Climate change. Man, I wish we did not have to deal with this. I wish we somehow could have made different choices. And every time I think about it, it makes me sad and anxious and fearful. And a part of me just has this sense of, God, I really wish I didn't have to deal with this. But I do, right? There's certain things we just have to move through, and it takes time and patience and love and courage to be able to do that. So I wanted to start there and really feel into the challenge that human beings have of learning, growing, and changing, because it is not easy work. I wanted to talk about this other funny little fact of human wiring, right? Which is the fact that the human heart and the human mind actually have structures and habits that impede our growth and prevent healing. So we have parts of ourselves that actually interfere with our ability to get the job done, right? To, to be free and to be liberated. We have parts of ourselves that actively go against that intention. So the first thing I wanted to remind ourselves is the Buddha begins his wheel of dependent co-arising, which is his wheel of suffering, with ignorance. Ignorance is the top of the wheel of suffering. And what the Buddha means by this and why the Buddha starts with ignorance at the top of the wheel of suffering is that human beings, by our very nature, have blind spots. We can't totally see outside of ourselves, right? We can reflect and we can intend to see who we are, but we can't really truly see ourselves as others see us. Human beings are forever trapped in a car with rear view mirrors that have blind spots. We always have blind spots. We can always inadvertently harm someone and we can often harm someone in a way and, and not even see it. Or when the person says that we're harming them, we can't even see it then. There's this incredible blind spot that human beings have. So even with our best intentions to be kind, generous, and loving people, human beings have this wiring 
which is the fact that we're ignorant. We have an ignorance that we carry with us moment to moment. We are not fully awakened to who we are as people. We are always causing ourselves and others harm, even with our best intentions. And that's challenging to accept that and to get into that and acknowledge it. One of the reasons we need community and need Sangha is so we can have people reflect back to us how we're doing. The Buddha often says when, when students ask the Buddha about ethics and morality and how to be in the world and show up in the world as a kind, loving being, the Buddha often said, look to see if harm is being done right now. Look to see if there's long-term harm being done from your actions and consult with other people in your life that you consider wise. Because you're not going to be able to get the full picture because we're ignorant. We're human beings by nature have blind spots. So we need other people to say, hey, there's some harm being done here. And that is very challenging for us, for human beings to acknowledge that we have this perpetual blind spot that we're trying to get out of. To make, it, to make it worse, not to rag on human design here, but to make it even harder, human beings really like to be right. Human beings don't like to admit that they're wrong. It's this thing with human beings. We want to be good and we want to show up as a good person. And human beings don't like to be wrong. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. And we don't like to be told that we're harming. Because human beings have this sense of ego, this sense of I, and we have an image of ourselves that we call ego image in Western psychology. And we like to keep this ego image looking really pristine. We like to think of ourselves as the good person, the kind person, the honest person. And because we have ignorance, we're not always going to live up to that ego image. We are going to be doing things that are conflictual. How many of us, isn't it true, again, it's not just me, how many of you know of this thing called shame and embarrassment? How many of us in this room have done something that's harmed someone or we've harmed ourselves and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And we feel bad. There's this completely aversive experience of like, oh geez, I cannot believe I did that, said that, or hurt that person in that way. We have this sense of shame and embarrassment. Now, it's there for as part of our conscience, as we call it, right, to keep us interested in being good, so to speak. The challenge is we hate that feeling. We do not like that feeling of shame and embarrassment. So we don't like to be told that we're doing something wrong because we don't like that feeling of being in trouble. We don't like that feeling of knowing that we did something hurtful to somebody. So... So first of all, we're ignorant. Second of all, we don't like to be wrong and we don't really want to be told that we're doing harm. We don't want to acknowledge it because that hurts us even further. So it's a strange design that human beings have with trying to be good and not doing harm. It's a strange design. The other part about this that's so funny, I mean, in this moment, I'm finding it funny when the real in the real life moment, it's it's not so funny, but that human beings have this wonderful ability to deny, right? We have the ability to be in denial. So we're this creature that can hurt somebody or hurt ourselves or being or doing something that's not helpful and be completely in denial of it, which again is remarkable that we have this ability to be in denial. We deflect, 
We pass off responsibility onto other people. Uh, we blame other people for things we're responsible for. It's just amazing how often human beings do this. I, when I was writing this, I was thinking, I was trying to thinking think of a non-triggering example in my own life where, you know, I wasn't taking responsibility for something that I did. And I actually was thinking about when I was a kid. I have a sister who's three years younger than me. Her birthday was actually this week. And I was just remembering, like, as a kid with my sister, we were always getting the other person in trouble. We were always telling our parents, like, oh, she did it. And then we'd argue back and forth. Now, to this day, I believe that she was pretty much wrong most of the time. But she will argue that, no, I was the one. To this day, she'll argue. And my memory literally is like, no, you always got me in trouble. I was always doing the right thing. And you were getting getting me in trouble by lying about it to my parents. So we both of us don't have a shared view of how that went down. But it reminds us, right? When you're a kid, this is sort of a safe way of thinking about this. Children have to be taught the value of being accountable for their actions. Right. Because they're like, they did it. She did it. They started it. I don't want, you know, we're always we, we lie about it when we're kids. We hide the evidence. We don't want to get in trouble. And we as parents help kids understand that to be an adult in the world means you're going to have to take responsibility when you harm or do something wrong. And yet, as adults, even, we still really don't like to go there, right? So, you know, and now again, I'm not saying that no one is trying to be good, but you know what I mean. There is this wiring we have where it's not our natural inclination to want to be wrong and to want to acknowledge that we've done something that, that's out of sorts. It's just not, it's just not in the wiring. So what do we do, right? What do we do with this? So here's sort of this summary take home. We have by nature, the fact that human beings are not fully awake. We have blind spots. Most of the time, our lives are driven by unconscious habit patterns of heart and mind. We often can't see the harm we're doing to ourselves and the harm that we're doing to others. And even when we do realize it and we want to change the habits, it is challenging to make the change, even when we want to. And that is why the Dharma is so ultimately difficult. Because the Dharma is the aspiration to live in the world awakened, right? Which means we're going to have to wake up to our ignorance. We're going to have to wake up to unconscious habit patterns. We're going to have to wake up to the darkest parts of ourselves that we don't want to be in touch with. We're really going to have to take a journey of authenticity and honesty in the face of the mind and the heart's natural inclination to run away. I mean, we ask the mind just to be with the breath for a hot minute, and it's like, hell no, I'm going somewhere else. So what happens when we invite it to be with anger and ill will and hatred and shame? It's like, no, I don't want to be in that kind of space. So the Dharma itself is hyper-challenging because even if we want to walk the path, the path asks us to look at the parts of ourselves that we're used to just running away from. That's why the path itself is by its nature against the stream. It's the against the stream of your natural inclination. The Dharma is asking us to challenge and confront these things that are really triggering for us. Very hard to do. Very hard to sustain. 
which is why we have to do it in community because trying to do this alone is really challenging. I know all of us are in this room in part because we've had some benefit from the Dharma. We know that as challenging as it may be, it is also liberating. We know that it creates peace in our hearts. It encourages us to be more compassionate, more loving, more honest, more open, and more engaged with others. I know for myself, I'm like barely recognizable in so many ways compared to where I was before I had the Dharma. I was a really angry person. I was constantly struggling with just like this fire hose of anger in the back of my head. I wasn't really able to pay attention to people sincerely and be in intimate dialogue with them. I couldn't hold other people's suffering because I was suffering so much and I didn't know I was suffering. I was really, I had a lot of hate. I had a lot of revenge-oriented attitude towards the world. I was very selfish. I was actively selfish. I sort of prided myself on being selfish, like I'm going to look out for me, partly because I had been injured so much, you know, in my childhood that I was, I had a wall and it was like, I'm going to make sure that I get safe first. And it was impeding relationships and it was impeding a, a sense of life that was happy and filled with joy and authenticity. And then the Dharma, the Dharma came around, the formal Dharma came into my life and I'm just a completely different being. I'm just not even recognizable. And even though every day the Dharma is still challenging and poses a constant, uh, constant, I was going to say threat, but that's way too exaggerative. It constantly is a constant challenge. It's a constant challenge to who I am as a person. It's wonderful. I love it. You know, I wouldn't change it for anything. I'm, I'm up for the challenge and I love being in a community of others like yourselves where we can take up this challenge together because we have to do it together. Otherwise, it's just a near impossibility. I want to conclude with this overview by just listing off some of the parts of the Dharma. And I'm going to give you a kind of assignment, whether you come, if you're not here next week, that's fine. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you an invitation here as well. The areas of the Dharma that you find most challenging can be the most liberating. Oftentimes, the ideas or tools or techniques that you're finding to be the most challenging, underneath there is buried treasure. I usually call it the X marks the spot. When there is some discontent, some confusion, some misunderstanding, and the more it's challenging you, the more there is something underneath there that's going to be jewels. There's going to be a gem under there at the heart of it. And it may take time, months or even years. I'm not saying it's going to happen overnight, but... I invite you to consider the challenging parts of the Dharma are where we're going to be doing our most liberating work ultimately. And it's also the work we have to be careful of doing. We have to make sure we're ready to go into those spaces. We have to make sure we're ready to deal with depression, anxiety, trauma, and things like that. We have to remind ourselves that the path itself has all kinds of tools. There's over 40 meditation practices that the Buddha taught, along with dozens and dozens of other tools and techniques. And not all of them are going to be the right medicine for us. If we use them at the wrong time, if we use the, the incorrect tool for who we are as a person at a certain point in our life, it can exacerbate our symptoms. It can make things worse. If we don't have a community or a teacher we can check in with, 
that can also become a problem if we get derailed in the practice. So just remind yourself that the parts that are most challenging, those ultimately are going to be treasure chests underneath there somewhere. Also, I'm going to remind you of this quote that Goenkaji, the famous Burmese meditation master, said in one of his retreats, or in his 10-day retreat, for those of you who've done it. At the end of the retreat, Goenka says this. He says that when he was a kid, his mom would make him, I think it was kir, I think that's how you pronounce it, and there would be, I believe, cardamom would be in, in this. And he saw the cardamom as black stones that he thought were like dirt. And so when his mom would give him this dish, he <laughs> he would say, I'm not going to eat it. It's got dirt in it. Take it away. And he'd, he'd fight with his mom. He'd fight with his mom over the fact that there were these black stones. And <laughs> his mom would say, okay, take it out. Take out the stones. They're not stones. It's spices. But take out the black stones and leave them over here. And just eat what's in front of you. And later on, try putting the stones back in and see how they taste. And he said, that's the Dharma. The Dharma, we, we try to create the Dharma moment to moment in a way that's going to be nourishing and fulfilling and workable for us in our daily life. It's okay to take out the parts right now that are too challenging, too confronting, or too triggering. It might not be, it might not be the right time to do that particular skill or or tool and that's totally fine and when Goenka said that I just felt like it had given me permission to customize my practice you know to really say okay I struggled with loving kindness practice and we'll go into this in a couple weeks maybe next week we'll see I really struggled with loving kindness practice in the beginning because I had been really wounded by people and so doing loving kindness practice where I was coming from was not safe for me. I didn't see it as being something that was safe. And I always felt really guilty that I wasn't able to practice it. So I would always have this sense of like, well, I guess I'm just not loving. I guess I'm just kind of a cold hearted person. For the longest time, I actually had a verbal let's see, mental fabrication that I was sort of a cold hearted person because I couldn't do loving kindness practice because it felt it didn't feel good to me uh, experientially. It took me years, like 10 plus years to be able to finally get into it. So it was healing and nourishing for myself. So if it's a, if there's a spice in the Dharma that's not landing for you, take it out for a while, see what happens, put it back in, try it again, see how it lands. You're welcome and give yourself permission to customize your practice. So what I'm gonna do here, just in conclusion, I'm gonna list some parts of the Dharma that people tend to have the most trouble with. And I have had trouble in all of these domains. And as I'm speaking them out, if you have had challenges with this part of the practice, I'm going to invite you just to either remember it if you don't have a pen handy, or write it down. And then I'll tell you what to do between now and next time we meet. So the first one is loving kindness. Loving kindness practice. If loving-kindness practice has ever been a stumbling block in any way for you, take note of that because it's significant and most people I know have some challenge with it. The precepts. The two precepts that people have the most challenges with are being free from intoxicants and doing no harm, particularly nonviolence. Those are two really difficult precepts in the Dharma. 
I know I was very antagonistic towards the intoxicant precept for a very long time. Dukkha, suffering. One of the challenges in the Dharma is the idea that suffering is caused by the heart-mind reactions to our experience. Now, where this throws us off sometimes is it leads to a line of questioning which says, well, then am I just, I'm causing my own pain? Like, that just seems weird, right? That's the sort of a logical endgame here with this concept that, well, if I'm doing it, then I'm, it's like self-blame, I'm doing it? Like, what about the world? What about the institution? What about this other person? I mean, I'm not, these people are harming me. And so we really need to understand the psychology of dukkha and the inner creation of dukkha and the outer creation of suffering. We need to see the relationship. And that is very subtle and very hard to do. And I know for my own self, it's triggered like some shame at times and confusion and anger. And I've really had to work this through. Thankfully, I had some great teachers walk me through it. But if you've ever struggled with that idea, take note of that. Another thing that we struggle with significantly in the Dharma is the relationship between the intrapersonal work, the meditation, the inner work, and engagement with the world. How do we balance the inner work with the outer service? This is such a lifelong challenge for any meditator. It will continue to be so for all of us. But there are ways of conceiving and understanding what the teachings say and how we've done this as students and teachers that can be really helpful. So if you've ever struggled with should I be meditating more or should I be serving more? And if I'm serving, shouldn't I be serving more than meditating? Or is meditation even necessary? And, and those kind of things. Some people feel selfish when they meditate. Some people feel selfish when they practice because they feel other people are suffering and it doesn't make them feel comfortable to take time away to do that. So there's all kinds of things around that relationship, which we really should talk about as as practitioners because this stuff can be really this can trip us up really really significantly the last one is just enlightenment itself the idea of enlightenment for many of us seems idealistic aspirational at best and something again that can feel like sort of selfish like i'm looking to be liberated when this person next to me doesn't even have food or shelter or clean water. And so here I am aspiring to liberation. It just seems strange for some of us in certain moments. So we, we really need to understand why the term enlightenment and the aspirational practices around being free from suffering are a part of the practice and how they can help us to heal ourselves and be a greater service to other people. So the reason I throw those out is, like I said earlier, it's dawned on me that you know, oftentimes students come to me in private and ask me questions about this, these parts of the Dharma. And I don't think I've ever just talked about them, like really talked about people about, oh my gosh, there's all these parts of the Dharma that might really be triggering for you. And so I, I feel like I've done a disservice in not recognizing that. And there was, I just never thought, thought to do it in, in this setting. So I'm going to do it for the next few weeks. And I'd also, like I said, I'd like us to have some breakout groups, hopefully, over the next couple weeks as well. Like, I'll do the talk, and then I'm hoping we can share a little bit. So what I'd like you to do is be thinking over the next few weeks over these topics, and please do a little journaling on the ways that these topics have been challenging to you, if they have been. 
Where have you found them challenging? Where have you found them confusing? And if teachers, myself included, have given you advice around the subject and the advice still doesn't land for you, please write down if you can remember what is it so we can square that away and bring a sense of peace around, around these for you. The last part of this is if there's any other parts, I mean, these are just ones that are common questions that students bring. Please be thinking about all aspects of your practice that have been really confronting for you over time. And you can think of it in, the, in this kind of term. Uh, where do you feel like the practice has let you down? Where do you feel like there's a part of the practice that just isn't living up to the hype? You feel like it should be, and other people talk about it, and teachers talk about it, but for the life of you, you're like, I don't, this isn't working. Be Feel comfortable. Really write that out. Anything that's not working and be as specific as possible for yourself so we can we can get into some discussion around this and we'll do some reflection as well. And what I'm really inviting us to do over the next few weeks is really serve each other in Sangha. Because if you have questions and you've struggled with these parts of the practice, I promise you I have struggled with them and other people in this room have struggled with them. And if we don't offer that sharing of how we've been confused or how we've been insecure about saying something. I mean, for years, I didn't want to tell people that I that I wasn't loving, like I can't do loving kindness. I didn't want to say that to somebody because it's kind of humiliating to think in my head that I just wasn't a loving person and I wasn't going to be able to be loving. So if any of you have experienced that kind of insecurity or um, withdraw from the practice, please take note of that in the next couple weeks as we move forward and let's really serve each other in Sangha to create a space where we can talk about this openly and find frameworks that will allow us to practice successfully. So that's my invitation for all of us for the next few weeks. I know we've gone over, but I thought it was important to stick the landing on that based on the talk. And I wanted, there was more to talk about today than usual. Oh, thank you so much for coming back again for Wednesday Wake Up. It's a delight to be with you. For those who can stay for another couple minutes, let us ground ourselves in loving kindness so we walk away with a sense of ease and we remind ourselves of our highest aspirations. Let's just take some deep breaths and return to body for a minute or two. Take a long, slow, deep breath in, and on the exhale, bring awareness deeply into body sitting. Take in as much of the full body as you can into awareness as an object of concentration. Notice again the physical form. Notice mood. Notice breathing. Let us remind ourselves 
after the Dharma talk fades and all the ideas wash away, we come together with our commitment to show up as kind, loving human beings. In spite of the unconscious habits, in spite of the inclination to run away from that which is hard to deal with, we come here week to week to practice our intention to be present, to be awake and aware, to cultivate joy, wisdom, and compassion, to heal ourselves so we truly can be of service to others so they too can be free from suffering. May all beings know true love true joy and true happiness in this lifetime. May all beings be free from danger, worry, and concern. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings know true liberation in this lifetime. Thank you, my friends, for your generosity and your kindness for being here tonight. Thanks for letting me share and reflect. Much love to you. Be safe. Be well. Let's keep India in our hearts tonight as we move forward through mindfulness. Just feeling really, man, just I don't know what to say. Just so much pain, so much suffering and loss. Maybe in our meditations we can aspire to do a little extra meta over the next few days and weeks. All right, my friends, we'll see you next week. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.